I confess, I lost my virginity to a hairbrush. Let that breathe for a minute. Uh, I confess, I have had hot, steamy sex multiple times on the side of the road and all, all on to- and on top of a parking garage. And I have gotten off primarily because of the anticipation of being caught. I confess, though I said I was angry, I loved seeing the five perfectly formed and very dark bite-sized bruises on the inside of my thighs. It's like jewelry. Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. I'm Bedpost producer Miranda Wiley. In this episode, we will hear from Jamie Schaffner. Jamie has a day job as a systems analyst, but likes to tell everyone that she's a stand-up comic. Jamie has appeared in three productions of The Vagina Monologues and sometimes introduces herself as being born a poor boy, and only one of those is incorrect. In a life that has been done, undone, and redone more than once, Jamie Schaffner postulates, is it done yet? In her story, Undone, Redone. One note before we hear Jamie's story. All Bedpost Storytelling Productions are made accessible to the deaf audience members by the fantastic interpreters from Soul Illumination. If you hear laughter and don't understand why, the interpreter may have stolen the show for a minute. Now here is Jamie Schaffner. When I was about five, I naturally assumed that I was going to grow up to look just like my mother. Since I already looked like her, and I knew I wasn't a boy, although a lot of other people thought I was. But by the time I was 10 or 11, I'd figured out how the world really worked. And that regardless of how much I wanted something to happen, that didn't mean it was. So I gave up wanting a personal rocket belt. (laughs) And I gave up being able to fly in outer space. But I held on to becoming a woman because that wasn't something I simply wanted but something that I knew was part of the core of who I really was. But just couldn't be. So I buried that part of myself and just kept moving with my life. By the time I was 19, I realized that college was not for me. When, after a whole year at the University of Houston, 
I managed to salvage three credit hours in a senior level class in human sexuality. That's when I joined the Navy to become a submariner. And yes, that's how you pronounce that word. I wasn't on a submarine. Why did I do that? When I was 19 in 1967, the Vietnam War and its accompanying draft were in full swing, and I was eligible to be drafted because I had flunked out of college. Because I had always been fascinated by submarines, and because I didn't want to get shot at and or die, and because the Viet Cong didn't have submarines, but the U.S. Navy did, <laughs> that's where I went. Ironically, the Navy did what college couldn't, and after a solid year of class, and I mean nine to five, five days a week for 51 weeks, class in electronics and computers and programming, I was assigned to a submarine in Connecticut. But being on a submarine crew actually turned out to be exciting as well as a place where I fit in among misfits. There were times on patrol, and I'm not kidding you, that I would think I'm inside an engineering and technical marvel packed with enormous destructive power, hundreds of feet under the surface of the water, and I know exactly what I'm doing, how everything works, and I'm happy. For nine years, I was sailoring. That's not a word. and moving through my life. And somewhere along the way, I also got a college degree in math that I've never used. <laughs> and fell in love with a woman back in Houston and finally got married and left the Navy. We moved back to our hometown of Houston and got really good jobs and decided that we wanted to build careers and a bank account and a house before we built a family. And so for 13 years, we did that. But by the age of 40, we realized that 
if we wanted, if we waited much longer, it would be too late to have the family that we had said that we always wanted. So our relatively carefree life as an upper middle class consumer couple became the life of a couple totally engulfed by the mechanics of getting pregnant which is a euphemism for we fucked a lot but only did it at the right time of the month. (laughs) But as time passed and babies didn't happen, the stress mounted as we sank even deeper into first striving for a pregnancy and then for any pregnancy that stuck. Finally, after seven years, five pregnancies and six miscarriages, yeah, one was twins. We finally gave up, trying for pregnancy, not fucking, (laughs) and adopted our first baby, a boy. Our life as potential parents was instantly ended by our immediate immersion into our life as parents of a newborn. And when I say instantly, I mean instantly. We got a call on a Friday night late in November to come pick up our son the following Monday at the hospital where he had been born and abandoned. We became parents over the course of two days, not nine months. We parented with the help of daycare and sleeping in shifts and also worked for almost six years to save up enough for another baby, which was $20,000 at the time. Today it's more. During that new parent time, my life changed even more as I finally figured out that I couldn't not transition from falsely living my life as a man to living a genuine life as a woman. The female me that I had tried so hard to keep buried all my life had always been very much alive. My denial of that caused me anger and dissatisfaction and depression And the older I got, the more it showed in my continuously trying and failing to hide who I was. And then lashing out in anger. Because I had continuously tried and failed to hide. And then I got angry because I failed. So finally, by 2000, to stop the harm to me and to all the people that I loved around me, I completely unearthed my femininity, faced it, embraced it, and began the process of transitioning into showing the world.
the possible fear and pain of losing everyone and everything by changing my gender was finally overcome by the very real pain of trying to hide who I really was. If you're tall, try spending your life hunched over, crouched down, and pretending to be short. It won't take long before you're a very unhappy person. I, I stopped being unhappy. When I stopped suppressing my natural feminine gestures and speech patterns, and I started wearing makeup and jewelry and different clothes and taking hormones to alter my appearance, it was finally okay (laughs) that I had feminine facial features, didn't have any body or facial hair, And I was ecstatic when I got my ears pierced and started wearing earrings. I was on my way to being me, although I knew that it was going to be a long way to go to get there. A year later, we became even more parental as we adopted our newborn daughter, just in time for me to lose my job of 13 years, four days after 9-11. I was 53, and panic set in as my life went from someone who had always left home every day to go do a job to someone who had to stay home every day trying to find a job while simultaneously taking care of an infant and a six-year-old. Then when she was two, my daughter contracted a deadly E. coli infection that put her in the hospital for three weeks, half of that time in pediatric ICU and three days of that time in a coma. I found out during those weeks what true fear is. When your two-year-old child is lying unmoving in a hospital bed, in a coma, her kidneys failing, hooked up to machines and tubes and wires, you beg the universe for miracles to save her life and then live in abject fear that even if the universe exists, it doesn't hear you because life is always tenuous at best. But spoiler alert, the universe did hear. Today she's a beautiful, healthy, smart-ass, funny, outgoing, gender-fluid, 17-year-old. But that experience not only showed me real fear, but also that there are limits to my hatred. I know now that I could never hate anyone enough to wish the death or even near death of their child on them. Because the absolute worst human being 
is still a human being. My transition was an ongoing part of my life and not a single event like my marriage or losing my job. But by 2010, I'd finished a lot of it by changing my name, my identity documentation, my public persona, my appearance, my mindset, everything. And finally arriving at a point where I truly felt like I was a woman with... I had completely discarded my previous masculine life with one exception. My kids still call me dad because they already had a mom. I was over 60 by then and had redone my life once more. I went from a person who carried his anger all the time right under the surface to being a person who could simply rejoice in her existence. And at the same time, I went from being a quiet, withdrawn, angry person to being an outgoing, laid-back, happy person doing stand-up comedy. And I moved to Austin. So in my existence, there have been all these places where shit happened. And the life I was living was undone and drastically changed direction. From kid wanting to be a girl, to uninterested college student, to macho submariner, to married yuppie, to parent, to near death of a child, to female parent, to unemployed stay-at-home parent, to comic to whatever the hell it is I am today. (laughs) I know most folks will probably think that becoming a woman was the biggest alteration in my life. But in reality, that was just an external manifestation of what I knew I had always been. To me, the two biggest changes were the internal, emotional, and spiritual ones brought about by almost losing my daughter and by learning to actually explore my inner world and to accept what I found there. Losing my way of life several times forced me to reevaluate what I was doing, where I was, what I wanted. It forced me to learn new things and discover new perspectives. Each change meant suddenly being free to look around and see things up close that I might not even have noticed when I was just keeping my head down and mindlessly slogging toward something. I've been working on putting together a five-year plan for about 50 years. (laughs) But every time I try to actually do it, I've only managed managed to get uh, roughly as far as next month. 
That's probably the realization that making and then completing a five-year plan means you're done. And I believe you're never really done living until you die. And if you think you're all done, you might as well be dead. Right now at the age of almost 70, June is almost, right? (laughs) My bucket list is learn to fly helicopters, have my own HBO comedy special, and fly in outer space is back on the list. I know it's not very likely that I'll accomplish any of those, but that's okay. I know people at NASA. But that's okay. Because not completing my bucket list doesn't really bother me. That's like, you know, more planning. In reality, I've already seen and done and experienced so many things that most folks never will. And I know there's always a chance that my life will change again. That's why I sometimes buy lottery tickets. (laughs) I leave myself open to chance and change. Because I know that there's always a possibility that lightning really will strike, undo this life, throw me into another one, one that I now know that I can handle and continue to live, whatever it entails. And by the way, so can you. I confess, when I was 18, I managed to contort my body and get the head of my cock in my mouth, sort of giving myself a blowjob. It tasted awful, but I swallowed anyway. (laughs) I've never done it since, but the experience made me very appreciative of others. (laughs) There you go. Well done. In all the ways, like contortion-wise. Jesus Christ. I confess. I've been getting Eiffel-towered and DP'd by the same two guys weekly for a year, and honestly, it never gets old. (laughs) Do what you love. I confess, I saw my ex on FetLife. What? He never told me he was kinky in the four years we dated. 
I confess. The other night, I carried on an articulate, engaging discussion with our Lyft driver, all while my fingers were playing with my girlfriend's pussy. Bedpost Confessions is recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas. Follow at Bedpost Confessions on Instagram and Facebook for even more audience confessions, show photos, and our performers. To view our full 2020 calendar or purchase an I Confess t-shirt, tote, or journal, visit bedpostconfessions.com. Links in the show notes. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Miranda Wiley, and Sadie Smythe. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Moody, and Permanent Record Studios. You know the drill. Make sure you stay subscribed to the show. Thank you for sharing the episodes and leave us a review. It helps other people find our show as well. Thank you and keep confessing. <laughs> <laughs>